Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Glad to open God's Word with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I hope that you do. Find your way to Exodus chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible with you, there are some on the table over there, a little black Bible says the Holy Bible on it. Uh, Take one, keep it for yourself, give it to someone. If you need a copy of God's Word, we would love to make that happen. Sometimes people ask, Pastor, what version of the Bible do you use? And I read and study from the English Standard Version. Many of of us here uh, use the same, but we are not a a version-only church. Um, You need to have a copy of God's Word in front of you that is comprised of both Old and New Testament. 39 books in one and 27 in the other, or 29 and 30, 66 books, that's what you need. Old and New Testament, 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, I think that I could get through them all, but we won't do that right now. You need to have a copy of God's word in front of you that you understand, that makes sense to you as you read it so that you will engage with it more. If you don't understand the words on the page, it's going to be hard for you to read that, and we all of us lack understanding when reading God's word unless the Holy Spirit of God helps us. So have a Bible that you understand in front of you and rely and trust on the Spirit of God to illuminate the truth of God as you read it. Exodus chapter 6, moving forward in our journey through the book of Exodus, uh, the first five books of the Bible, indeed all of Scripture, but the first five books of the Bible really set the stage for the declaration of God's glory that is contained in the whole of Scripture. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, set the stage for the rest of the Bible in declaring God's glory, a God who delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. Here's a snapshot at the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, we find the beginnings. Time, creation of all things, man, sin, God's promise of redemption because of sin, God's promise to deliver his people. We find the beginning of God's people in Genesis. In Exodus, we find God's people in trouble. And they're under burden and bondage in Egypt specifically. God's People are in trouble, they are unable to help themselves, and we see a God who in his power and because of his glory acts to save his people, to deliver them. Leviticus, we find God directing his people to worship him and how. This is important, and I want to give this little disclaimer on the book of Leviticus. This is how the Hebrews worshipped God and how. And we are God's people with them, but we worship God differently than they worshiped God. But nonetheless, we see God directing his people to worship him and how, and that applies to us today as well. God directs that we worship him and how we do it. In the book of Numbers, we find the judgment of God on his people. I already said, wait a minute, right. The judgment of God on his people for turning, you can read through these, bo- these Old Testament books, turning to the right, turning to the left, they are not staying the course in obeying and following God. The screen's doing something funny behind me. I caught it out of the corner of my eye, and I saw everyone go. 
So if it doesn't work, we'll turn it off and we'll be good to go because we have a Bible in front of us. That's why you need one. In Numbers, we find the judgment of God on his people when they do not worship him the way that he has said and when they do not trust his provision. And then finally in Deuteronomy, the last of the first five books known as the Pentateuch, uh, the Torah to the Jewish believers, Jewish people still today. In Deuteronomy, we find the law of God directing his people. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Focus on me. Moses, the entire book of, De- of Deuteronomy, if you want to read it faithfully, you should sit down and start in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1, and you should read all the way through the entire book in one sitting because that is what happened with the book of Deuteronomy. Moses speaking to the people, reminding them of God's promise, of God's call. God has sent Moses to lead his people. This is where we find ourselves in Exodus. He has sent Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery to the Egyptians. Moses has gone to Pharaoh. We saw this take some time to get to, but Moses has gone to Pharaoh, and it did not go the way that I think Moses intended for it to go. I think Moses had a different idea of what was going to transpire when he went to Pharaoh. God had told him, you'll go to Pharaoh, you'll lead my people out, Pharaoh will let them go, and things don't go perhaps according to Moses' plan. Pharaoh ends up tightening his grip on the Hebrews as we walked through chapter 5 last week. We saw Pharaoh hardening his heart to God and tightening his grip on the Hebrews. The Hebrews then in their suffering begin turning on the leader that God had sent to them. You've made a stink to Pharaoh. You have put a sword in his hand to kill us. We talked about last week the Hebrews forgetting God's word and God's power that had been demonstrated and said to them. They are hardening their heart. They are blaming Moses. And Moses does what all of us should do when we come up against any form of opposition, resistance, hardship, you name it. The Bible tells us at the end of Exodus chapter 5, Moses turned to the Lord. Those are important words. Moses turned to the Lord. In Exodus chapter 6, God responds to Moses turning to him. Would you read with me? Exodus 6. Let's just read 1 through 13. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. 
Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we come before you, thankful God to have sung your praise, to have sought your help in life. Thankful Father for fellowship and unity and being together, but now we come to what your word holds as paramount to our lives as your people. And that is your word. It is necessary. It is sufficient. It is inspired by you. It is without error. It does not lie. Your word is all that is necessary for you to work in us for your glory. You guide us and direct us. And we are thankful for your word. And as we approach this teaching moment, I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. Father, I humble myself before you and before these people. God, please speak to my heart. Father, though it is my voice being heard, I desire, God, that you would be the one speaking to our hearts and our minds. I pray that ears are opened. Father, I pray that the cares and the concerns of this life are silenced by the power of the Spirit that we may hear from you this morning. God, I pray that in the preaching of your word today, sinners would be humbled to repentance and salvation. I pray, God, that holiness among your people would be promoted, that we would be holy. And I pray, Father, that Christ, the Savior of the world, would be exalted as we learn from you, in Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 6, 1 through 13, I've titled the sermon, God Keeps Covenant. You should write that down. Uh, We have a lot of note takers, and I love it, and I love to tell you what to write, because sometimes I think people are like, what should I write down? Don't worry, I'll tell you. You should write that fact down. That is a fact. God keeps covenant. I hope to help us see that despite whatever we face in this life, I want you to take stock of your life right now. Everybody right now, the future's not happened. We don't know if the Lord's going to let us see this afternoon. We're here right now. I want you to take stock of your life, and I want you to think about every hardship you've ever experienced, every one of them. I want you to think about every one of them. I want you to think about how many hardships you have faced because someone has not kept their word. Someone let you down, some person, some group of people. I want you to understand as we work through Exodus chapter 6 that no matter what we face, and even despite what we face, and in spite of what we face, our God is a God, the God, who always keeps his covenant. He will not break it. He will not, it's not even going to get bent back on itself God's covenant, God's word, God's promise stands firm and through faith in Jesus Christ, which I hope you're holding on to this morning, we have hope and we can trust that God will always keep his unfailing, unchanging, never-ending promise, his covenant. I want to call to your attention right in verse 1. 
But the Lord said to Moses, this is a response. Let's read it quickly. Exodus 5, the end of the chapter. Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. That's all we need to see from Moses to understand that he is saying, This didn't go as I had planned, God. I know what you called me to do, and I did it, and you said you were going to do this, but now, God, it has all fallen apart. Why did you send me? I told you. I said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? The Lord told Moses, remember, I've been keeping this at the forefront of our mind as we journey through Exodus. God told Moses that it would only be by a mighty hand that Pharaoh would let the people of Israel go. It will take a strong hand, a mighty hand, to compel him to allow the people of Israel to leave. Now, we know the entire account of the scripture. We have the whole of scripture to draw off of. Many people in the room probably could give a better summary of the entire book of Exodus than even I could give. I don't doubt that at all. There are some well-learned people in the room. You could start here in Exodus 6 and tell us everything that happens through the rest of it. But we need to always be remembering Moses is writing this, remembering what he walked through for the people to learn from. And I think it's very important for us to understand that at the moment that Moses cries out to God, Why did you ever send me? He does not know the end. He does not know about the plagues that are coming. He does not know that God will spare them through blood on a doorpost. He does not know about the Red Sea parting and the thunder and the fire at Mount Sinai and the manna in the wilderness. He does not know of those things. He knows that he has gone to Pharaoh and Pharaoh has said, you and what army, Moses? You're under my rule. You're of no account. I won't listen to you or your God because you are of no account. From Moses' vantage point, at the end of Exodus chapter 5, I think it's important for us to consider Moses may have had extremely limited knowledge of God. Somebody thought, that's strange. He's like the author of a bunch in the scriptures. Yes, but he was born and raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter For 40 years, the Bible says, before he threw off the ways of the... We don't know exact time frames, but he was raised as an Egyptian. What does that mean? Raised with all of the false gods of Egypt. His knowledge would have been whatever he learned from the time he cast off, whatever he gleaned from his mother who nursed him, whatever age he was, was she able to teach him, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one that hasn't even happened yet. Moses, very limited knowledge of God, certainly then very limited experience with God's power. And as we come into Exodus chapter 6, it is very likely that Moses is saying, you said you would do all this, I did what you said, and that's the best you've got? Nothing's happened. I want to let you know that I'm preaching to myself this morning. Just know that. I have you in mind when I write sermons and when I work through scriptures, but just know that this morning, this word is coming right here first as it has all week. So you're welcome to watch me work this out live. I pray that it encourages you. I did what you told me to do. I guess it didn't work. Pharaoh is being worse than ever, so I don't even know. 
I wonder how often. Here's your first note to write down. It's a question. I wonder how often we think God isn't acting because he hasn't acted according to our ways, according to our thoughts, according to our timetables. We must be very careful and we must be ever mindful to remember that God's ways are not our ways. It's not that God's ways are dissimilar to ours. It's not that our ways are kind of like God's, but kind of not really. No, God says your ways are not. They are not my ways. The way that you do things are not the way that I do things. The thoughts that you have are not the thoughts that I have. Paul says in Romans 11 verse 33, God's judgments are beyond finding. His ways are beyond comprehension. Ephesians 3.20, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I want you to stop for just a second. And I want you to recall the asking and the thinking of God's work in your life. Just think for a minute. Think about the things that you have asked God for. Think about the things that you have thought. Because God knows those thoughts. His word tests all of those thoughts. And every ask and every thought that did not happen the way we wanted it to happen happened the way that God wanted it to happen. He's able to do more than you ask and more than you think. I I consider all of the things that in this very room, this church has asked of God. And how dare we ever put limitations on God by thinking that what we're asking is what God wants to do. This is why we pray, Lord, your will be done. We do have desires. We desire certain things. We want to see certain things as a people. But, oh, Father, we want those things in accordance with your will, not outside of them, not to, to see something good, to be feeling good about something you've done for us, but because it is your will. I wrote this down. It's been a a prevailing thought for me the last week or so, week and a half maybe. God is vast. Yeah, pastor, we know. No, I don't think we do. God is vast. God is not contained within the ability of the human mind. This is not a theorem. This is not some work that you can do and come to the end of and say, I got it. God is vast. How vast is he? He fills heaven and earth. Is that big enough for you? You think that your mind can contain a God who fills the heavens and the earth. Who, who Hebrews says, by the word of his power, sustains all things. I got them all figured out. Somebody out there thinks they have God all figured out, but they don't. God is vast, filling heaven and earth It is our sinful human nature that reduces God's work to our expectations, that sets God on our timetable, that puts God on our calendar as if God were just answering our beck and call. Our sinful human nature, this is a striking thought that came to me this past week. I've only shared it with one other person. It came to me from the voice of a brother pastor. We talk often about human nature being bad. Sinful human nature is the most corrupt thing on the face of the planet. But there is good in humanity. But not good that can lead us to God. 
not good that can save us. And we need to right understand sinful human nature is a product of the fall, and anything good that we see in humanity is the stamp of God who made us in his image. Anything good that you see in me, that I see in you, that we see in one another, that is the imprint of God. Any good in you, wow, that's really a good thing. It's not motivated or driven by a life lived with the Spirit, but it's good because man is made in God's image. And so our sinful human nature reduces God to work according to our expectations, and then what happens? Anybody ever been in the disappointment bus because God didn't do what you wanted on your timetable? Because I know I've been there. Like, we expect God to do something, and he doesn't, and what happens? Our sinful human nature reduces the expanse of God filling heaven and earth, and then we're disappointed to the point of the Israelites saying, you made a stink. You put a sword in his hand. And Moses is like, why did you even send me? This is what our expectations on God will do to us every single time. Every time. We must strive to live with God's ideas and God's time as our heart's desire and not ours. Pastor, can we even know God's ideas and God's time? Yeah, I don't know. Ideas? Yeah, we can have a pretty good understanding of some of God's ideas. But God has not revealed all of himself to us. He's only revealed what is necessary for faith and following him and salvation. Secret things, the Bible says, God has that are not revealed to us. What is revealed to us is for us. This is like a, you'll know what you need to know when you need to know on the Lord. We can strive to live with God's ideas as our hearts desire. God's time, though, is a major point of contention in our lives. We set timetables. We want things accomplished at certain times. Why? I have no idea. I'm guilty of this. Like, this isn't me pointing fingers at you. I'm guilty of this, Lord. It's almost August. What are you doing? I got some stuff I need figured out. And he's saying, guess what, kid? I already got it figured out. Okay, Lord, you're right. Because God is good, he reassures Moses. Look what he says. Now you shall see. And we should pay attention to the next words. What I will do to Pharaoh. It was the work of the Lord coming. With a strong hand, God told Moses, with a mighty hand. It will take a mighty hand for Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. God says here, now you shall see. It's as if God is saying, Moses, Moses, you have seen nothing. You've only seen this much And I got a lot more in store. Exodus 3.19, I know that he will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, by God's hand. And so God speaks to Moses, reminding him, and through him the people of Israel. Look, he says, God spoke to Moses, verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, God is still giving Moses his instruction, What does he say? He reminds him of four things. Here, I'll give them to you. You can write them down and we'll talk about them. God speaks to Moses, reminding him of four things. One, who he is. He reminds Moses who he is. Two, what he will do. God is doing something, right? We're focusing on a God who delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. Moses, remember who I am. Here's who I am. Remember that. Here's what I'm going to do. 
He reveals why he will do it, and he reveals how he will do it. The who, what, why, how of Exodus chapter 6 and God delivering his people. Look at the first thing. God speaks to Moses and he says to him, look, verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. I am the existing one. Interesting, I am the Lord. If you want to count them as we go through Exodus 6, you can, but I'm going to tell you right now. I am the Lord appears five times in Exodus 6. It appears four times in verses 2 through 8. What have we always talked about? When the Bible repeats itself, what? Pay attention. Sometimes it comes in threes. Here it comes in fours. I just want to read it quickly. Pay attention to it. Verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, who the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Here we go. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. Verse 7, I will take you. I will be your God. Verse 7, I am the Lord. The end of verse 8, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He is God Almighty. I wonder if in your, let's use a dramatic word, I wonder if in your despair of things not going the way you wanted them to, when things are spiraling out of your control as they always have been, you were just self-deceived in thinking you had control. I wonder if the first thought that you cling to, I wonder if what you remember is that God says, I am the Lord. Do you know why the tension exists when things don't go the way we want them to, when God does what only he does, and we're like, what are you doing? You know why that happens? Because we have deceived ourselves into thinking that we are the Lord. We are not God. There is one God, and it's not us. And here God says to him, Moses, you need to remind yourself, you're having a bit of a moment here, Moses. I was on the mountain with you, speaking to you out of a bush that burned and wasn't consumed, but you're kind of having a bit of a fit. Settle down, kid. Settle down. I am the Lord. 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 Some days I think that's all I should just pray. You are the Lord. You are the Lord. You are the Lord. You are the Lord. He is God Almighty. He appeared to the Hebrew fathers. This is interesting, and we should take note of it. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. They knew me as God Almighty. But look what he says. But by my name, the Lord I did not make myself known to them. That verse right there, that is such a personal phrase. Like you can know someone, plenty of people in this room, you kind of know, you're like, oh yeah, I see you. Your relationship goes to another level though when you get a handshake or get a hug and a name is exchanged. And here God says, I appeared to them. They understood me to be God, but I did not make my my name known to them. I have made my name known, Moses, to you and to this generation. I am the Lord. Remember, Moses, who I am. I am the Lord. What is he going to do? Our focus through the whole thing, deliver, redeem, 
and dwell with his people. And here in the middle of Exodus 6, we actually see God talk about these things for, like, firsthand. Look what he says. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out, deliver, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will, look at, deliver you from slavery to them. Look at the next verse. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Dwell, I will dwell with you and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who did these things. God delivers, God redeems, and God dwells with his people. He's not just decreasing the burden in Egypt. He's removing them from it. I'm going to take you, look at the language is very specific, I'm delivering you out of Egypt. Direct application to you and your sin, Christian. Those in the room perhaps without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ here, looking from the outside in at the people of God, we desire nothing more than that you would come to understand your sin before a holy God, that you would repent and be reconciled through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, saved by God's grace according to his mercy, the riches of his mercy. When God saves a soul, he takes you out of your sin. I'm not just doing this work and delivering you from your sin to leave you there. And this is the call for us to understand the sanctifying work of God in our lives. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Great Great truth there for the Israelites and for us to consider the work of Jesus Christ delivered and removed from our sin. That we might not sin anymore. Don't sin. Stop sinning. Like sometimes I think the best sermon a preacher could give would be to stand in front of a church of people and say, trust Christ by faith, stop sinning. Amen. I hope that we're doing that. I'm not sure. I mean, I hope. Are you stopping sin in your life? Oh, I can't need the Spirit's help. Yeah, I didn't say you didn't. But are you striving to see sin decrease as you follow God and put sin away? What God will do, he tells Moses, tell the Israelites, I will deliver, I will redeem, and I will dwell with my people. I want you to notice, I circled these, verse 6 through 8. Look at here. I am the Lord, and I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. Six times in three verses. Do you get it? Do you understand that there's activity on God's part in our lives that is only God's? We're responsible for a lot, but here the Israelites can do nothing to deliver themselves. They cannot get up and walk out of Egypt. And everybody said, that makes no sense. There's like so many of them. I know, but they can't do it. There are many, there are so many lessons. Like, I'll probably preach Exodus again in my life. Who knows? I don't know what the Lord will have me do. But when I look at this, I think the people are mighty, and the Egyptians were so afraid and concerned about the number of them that they subjected them to slavery. And the people of Israel, vast, and there's like a million plus of them that leave. We're going to read it in like seven chapters or so. They can't stand up and get out of the land. They can't leave Egypt. They don't want to. We already saw that. We're going to see that they wanted to go back to it as soon as they were brought out of it, which is really a demonstration of sinful nature. 
But God, Ephesians chapter 2, God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, they can do nothing. God is doing all of this work for them. I will, I will, I will, I will. Why? Because God keeps his covenant. Look at verse 4. Verse 3, I appeared to your fathers, Moses. Verse 4, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. God does not forget his promise. God is not slow in keeping his promise, the New Testament tells us. He is God who remembers his word. He has made a covenant. He brought Abraham into the covenant and said, this will be the sign. Every male among you eight days and older will be circumcised. That's the sign. Now he draws people into covenant. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll be there at the end of the sermon. He will do it because he keeps covenant with his people. God keeps covenant. This is a foundational truth. I made several notes about it because we must understand that when God says, I will, nothing is changing that. Like you, I, I hope that you're sitting here today with faith in Jesus Christ. And I hope that it is solid faith in Jesus Christ. But it is altogether all common that people are like, I just, I just don't know. I just, I'm not sure. Like, that's not saving faith. That's doubt about saving faith. Because saving faith, when God acts in our life, is God has said he will. And he will. That's all I need to know. God has said, I will. He has made promises to us, and he will, and he will keep them. Foundational truth from Genesis to Revelation, God's word declares, God keeps his covenant, his promises. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Moses told the Israelites before entering the promised land, the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with with those who love him and keep his commandments. Going, that's Deuteronomy. Israel is out of Egypt. They've watched God deliver them, and now they're standing on the precipice of going into the promised land, and Moses says, God keeps covenant. He's faithful. King Solomon, the son of David, in dedicating the temple to God in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, Solomon says, not one word has failed of all his good promise spoken by Moses. Dude, Solomon's like 700 years down the road from Moses. Maybe not that far. Anyway, he's down the road. Not one promise. And all the time, from what God said to Moses, to the dedication of this temple here right now, not one promise of God has failed. Psalm 105 verse 8, he remembers his covenant forever. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by who you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is not, I want you to understand as we read through this, this is not just an account of God saving people just for the sake of saving people. This is God saving people because he said he would do it. And he's not going to go back on his covenant. This is an account of God keeping his covenant. Who he is, what he will do, why he will do it, and how. Look at the how. And we should look and we should tremble. Verse 6. I will deliver you, 
redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. With an outstretched arm, remember a couple weeks ago we talked about God being omnipotent. And any time the word of God shows us those words, outstretched arm, we are talking about God exerting his power. I have a good note for you, note takers, about God's power. It's never growing. It's never diminishing. God's power is always all power. I think we, I think we just don't look at how vast God is sometimes. And this, for me, it makes God so much bigger to understand that he's not like hitting the accelerator on his power. He's not, hey, I need to go over here and plug in and charge up a little bit. God's power is always all power. When we look at God saying himself, look what he says, I will with an outstretched arm, my arm, Moses, with great acts of judgment, nearly a thousand years, Moses has to be thinking in this moment, right? Let's just, let's try to understand Moses in this moment. He's writing this after the fact. Let's think about This isn't just something Moses wrote. This was something that Moses lived. And God came to him and starts speaking to him. God, I already went to Pharaoh and said and did everything you said to do and say. I did all of it. He does precisely what God tells him to do. Are Are you sure, God? Right? Let's be honest. Why don't you be honest with yourself? Are you sure, Lord, as our sinful human nature starts to diminish the vastness, the power, the omnipotence of God? Are you sure? Can you do this? Is it it too hard? you need to call in some help? Lord, because Pharaoh's like a man. I don't know. Nearly a thousand years after Moses. A thousand years. Man, time is something. The prophet Jeremiah telling of God's coming judgment on Israel for their lack of repentance. The same people right now that needs deliverance would refuse to repent of their sin. Jeremiah would exclaim, Jeremiah 32, 17, Lord, ah, Lord God. Sang it a song as a kid. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thine great power. Ah, Lord God. Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thine outstretched arm. God spent his power in creation. And as he's spending it, it's not decreasing or diminishing. This is where we need to cling to the power of God in your life over sin. I have such a, uh, God has all power all the time, and he has vanquished sin. It's defeated at the cross of Calvary. And we walk around going, I just can't get the victory over this sin, because you are not letting go of the sin. He's given you the ability to resist temptation and to endure that and to not sin. You are not relying on the power of God in your life to not sin, because we like sin. We need to like sin much, much less. Jeremiah would exclaim, nothing is too difficult for you. This is a verse at Vacation Bible School just a month ago. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Moses could have used Jeremiah's word that day with Pharaoh. Like, it's like if if prophet Jeremiah could have been like, Moses, dude, throwing you, catch that one, huh? Who are you? Okay, nothing is too difficult. This is a good, thanks, dude. This is a good word. You need that in your life, Christian. 
nothing, no thing is too difficult for God. He says, I will deliver you with an outstretched arm. And then he says, and with. One, I'm going to exert my power. And when I do, I'm going to judge that wicked nation, Egypt. I'm going to judge my enemy, Pharaoh. I'm going to judge the wicked people that have killed my people. I am going to exercise my power and I'm going to judge them. Pharaoh and the Egyptians are enemies of God. And enemies of God will receive judgment from God. We saw from Psalm 1 just a few weeks ago, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They are wicked. They are enemies of God and they will not stand. I wrote this note down. Not one single enemy of God will stand his judgment. You look around in the world. We explored with Ecclesiastes last year. Solomon's like, I just don't understand. The wicked just keep going from bad to worse. And where is the judgment of God? Oh, it's coming. No enemy of God will stand the judgment. Not one. God says to Moses, remind them of who I am. Remind them of what I am doing. Remind them of why I'm doing it. Remind them of how I will do it. Go. Verse 9. But they did not listen. What, Moses? Yeah, said that already. Don't care. They would not, they would not listen. Notice that it doesn't say they didn't want to, but they didn't want to listen. That's not what it says. They did not listen. That's a good story, Moses. You said that, and then you went in there, and now we're getting beat because of what you did. They did not listen. And right here, if you were with us last week, right here we see the result of what we examined in Exodus chapter 5. Hardness of heart toward God often brings about hardship for God's people, and hardship for God's people often turns into the hardness of heart of God's people toward God. And here it is. Seen the sign, heard the words, their heart is hard, and now this second time around, Moses, go to the people of Israel and say thus, but they did not listen. Moses, man, he's telling them awesome things. This is awesome stuff. This is beyond the descriptions of what he's going to do back in Exodus 3 and 4. This is beyond that. Like, here, here's a, a little bit more of what I'm going to do. But they would not listen. They did not listen. I wonder. Here's the question to ask yourself, a bit of rolling application. There's a reason they won't listen. The end of the verse. Their broken spirit and harsh slavery, right? So let's see the whole thing. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So now we can get equally uncomfortable and ask this question. I wonder what breaks our spirit? What is so harsh that you won't listen to God? What is it that is so devastating that your spirit is broken, that you're, it's, it's harsh and you won't listen? I'm not listening to you, Moses, because now I have to try and find straw to make bricks. 
and that man just beat my family while we're out here trying to do what is impossible? Moses, I'm not listening to you because this hardship that I'm experiencing has broken me. The harshness of slavery has broken me and I am not listening, Moses. What is it? What breaks our spirit? What is so harsh that we will not listen to God's word? For the Hebrews, it was their bondage and slavery. So I ask, is it something outside of yourself? Is this some outside source like the Hebrews with Pharaoh? Are you living a Christian life and are you dealing with such persecution from an unsaved spouse or unsaved coworkers or unsaved children or unsaved neighbors that you are dealing with such harshness from people that you are broken? Are you in an abusive relationship? Are you in a toxic, sinful relationship that maybe some changes should happen, but you can't because it's so difficult, but you know that the relationship you are in it's breaking your spirit. It's causing you to not listen to God's word. Or is it something within you? We've examined this. It's not just the outside stuff. We've got to examine the inside stuff. The outside stuff is bad enough. The inside stuff is much worse. What is it that breaks your spirit that is so harsh? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it uncertainty of the future? Here's all these descriptors. You can pick one that's yours or you can find one in your own thought. Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it arrogance? Is it pornography? Is it substance abuse? What is it that the world is throwing at you that is so harsh it's causing you to not listen to God's word? I don't want to hear it, God. That's what they're saying. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. What is it? Have you set up some idol in your life? Do you have some idol in place of God on the throne of your life? Do you have some hidden, unconfessed sin? Are you even examining yourself to understand? I don't want to, when's the last time you read your Bible? Couldn't tell you. Don't care to. Ain't going to do it. I don't want to do it. Why? I'm a wreck. That's why. I don't want to read the Bible because I'm a wreck. Yeah, the Hebrews were a wreck too and they didn't want to listen to God. And look what he was telling them. They didn't want to listen to him saying, I'm the Lord. I will bring you out. I will redeem you. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will exert my power. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And they're like, don't want to hear it. My spirit's broken and the slavery is too harsh. No. I hope it's a vivid enough illustration for us. What is it? As 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 asks, what is the argument? What is the lofty opinion casting itself up against the knowledge of God in your life? For the Hebrews, it was the slavery. For the Hebrews, it was the harsh treatment. It had broken them down to such a point that it had thrown itself up against the knowledge of God. They don't even want to hear it. For you today, what is it? What is casting itself up? What argument, what lofty opinion, what thing of the world, what is it that breaks your spirit and causes you to not listen to God's word? The Hebrews are here because of the awful state of their treatment in Egypt, and it's terrible. We're reading words, and I think we just read it and gloss over it. Oh, it was really bad for them. Now let's think about how they were being treated. It's, it's terrible. 
what they are enduring and what they are suffering. And because of that, their spirit's broken. And they are in harsh slavery. And they don't want to hear God because of it. They're in a terrible spot. But God has called Moses. Say to them thus. And look what happens. Moses goes to them and they don't listen. And look at what God just moves on. Good job, Moses. You did what I said to do, Moses. We're getting better at this now. We can look through the history of Moses' life and see where he's kind of struggling to do it. Go to, go to Pharaoh. Who am I that I should go? Well, I, I'll be with you. I don't talk good. I made your mouth. I, uh, go, go. Four times on the mountain with God at the burning bush, and Moses is really wrestling through. Now he's turned to God. God says, go do it. He does it, and now God has moved on. Good job, Moses. You are following my plan. Now go to Pharaoh. Go into Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. The famous, man, how famous is this line? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. You've had them long enough. Let them go. Think Moses was frustrated? Could you imagine? Try and put yourself in the shoes of Moses here. Maybe it's not too difficult for you. Moses said to the people, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am a man of uncircumcised lips. I want to deal with that phrase very quickly. He's just saying over again, I don't speak well enough to talk to Pharaoh. You need someone else going in talking to Pharaoh. That's why we're going to explore the next time we open Exodus. That's why Aaron goes with him. Think he's frustrated? We've been here before, Lord. I already told you. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. I wonder... Do you ever admit your struggles? Moses struggled with how he talked. This is, a, this is a problem for him. Three times, Moses writes on the page of Scripture for all of God's people, for all of time to see, he was really concerned with his inability to speak well. What struggle are you holding in? What, what struggle do you endure that no one knows about? I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about literally the adequacy of life. I, I, struggle with, I struggle with this. This is really hard for me. They're all past you. You get up front and you speak so well. I don't even know what I'm doing. I used to struggle to do this because I lived under the, you got to have some kind of education to do that. You got, you got to be some person that's gone somewhere and done something before you can do this. No, you need to be a servant of God and be used by God the same as you need to be used. And Moses here is like, I don't speak good. He says it back in Exodus 3. He says it here in 6. He says it again at the end of 6. I wonder, do you admit to your struggles? Do you ever talk about it? Do you ever admit areas that are difficult for you? I wonder if you ever get frustrated with the plan of God. Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him to let the people of Israel go. God, I just told you that's not going to work. Good thought, Lord. Great. That's, that's cute. That's not going to work, God. You ever get frustrated with God's plan? Moses, let's be honest. Moses is frustrated. If we're honest with ourselves, we get frustrated. Do you know how many people ask me on a weekly basis where we're going to meet in six weeks? I mean, well beyond the scope of this room, so don't take it personal. What are you guys going to do? Well, I wish I knew, Lord. And we get frustrated. Just be real. 
How often have you been frustrated with what God is doing because his plan is not your plan? And he has said, my righteous will live by faith. They won't need to know. They'll believe in me. We get frustrated. Listen, God knows that Moses is frustrated here. God made Moses. God knows that Moses has fallen. God knows that the sinful human nature that now inherits Moses has made him a person who's like, I told you. First Pharaoh and the people don't respond to Moses the way he had hoped. It's plain in the pages before us. Then the people don't want to listen the second time. Lord, what are you doing? This is so frustrating. You know what's good for us to do? It's good for us to look over at Exodus chapter 7. We're not there yet, but we're going to take a quick look at this. Exodus 7, verse 6. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80, and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. There's the underlining spot. When they... It's as if Moses is saying to us in the pages of Scripture, it was difficult. It didn't make any sense, Moses, at that time with God and the trust. And he's asking you to do stuff that you're like, I can't do it. I've already done it. It hasn't worked. And I don't know. It was really difficult. It it made no sense as I considered what God was saying to me and did it and nothing happened. It didn't make any sense that God came back again and said, do it again. But if we're paying attention to Moses, it's like he says, but, but, I saw the staff become a snake and become a staff again. It was my own hand that I put into the cloak and brought out covered in leprosy. And then I put it back in and brought it back out and it was restored. That was my hand that happened to. I watched A pitcher of water be poured and not look like blood and not appear to be blood. I watched it become blood as it was poured on the ground. It was really difficult. But you know what I did? I obeyed God, the Lord. And so should we. Are you? Are you trusting God to act in his way and in his time? in your life, are we? Let's think corporately. This is the corporate gathering of the village church. And if you're not regularly here, I'm glad that you're here today. But there is a group of people here that comprise and make up the name that God gave us that's on my shirt. We're the village church. It's just this local gathering of Christians. Are we trusting God's timetable and God's will for our church? Are we trusting a God who keeps his covenant, who provides for his people, who leads and makes ways when we do not see that ability? Are you trusting God to act in his way, in his time, in your life? Despite what may happen around you, are you leading to a broken spirit or are you listening to God? Is everything, is it so bad and so harsh that your spirit is broken and you don't want to hear God or are you listening to God's voice? You may get frustrated with God. You may get frustrated with God as asked you to do. Maybe it makes no sense, but are you going to obey anyway? 
This makes absolutely no sense to me, but I will obey. Someone is looking ahead and they're thinking, wow, there's a lot of names in there. I don't know how to say most of them. What are you going to do with that, pastor? Join us again next time we open the book of Exodus and we'll see what I'm going to do with that. There's a lot of names there. It's hard to say some of them. We'll see what happens. For today, Exodus is not just an account of God delivering people in trouble. It's an account of God keeping his covenant. God is delivering his people because of his covenant. If you are sitting here today with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if salvation is not something that you think you have but you know because God's promise is real and his work is true and good, you have been redeemed because God keeps covenant. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 says that because God keeps covenant, quote, we who have fled to God for refuge can have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. The hope that is set before us. All of the promises of God belong to his people. Every promise. Those with faith in Jesus Christ are brought into covenant with God. He is their God. They are his people. Are you? Have you placed your faith, your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you repenting and repentant of sin? Are you repentant toward God and of faith in Christ, living your life according to his word? This is what Jesus means in the Last Supper. We read the words, this is my blood in the new covenant. There's a new covenant. We are under that covenant by the work of Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus, we are brought in. And here's promises. Eternal life, 1 John 2, 25. Eternity with God, John 14, 3. We read it earlier in 2 Peter. The promise of God given to us, granted by his promises, that we may be partakers of the divine nature, changed from sinful human nature to divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world. I wrote this down in closing. When we see the Hebrews despair and not listen to God's word, when we see Moses frustrated with what God has called him to do, we can look to God's word and remember 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. We may be pressed, but we're not crushed. We may be persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We may be struck down, but we are not destroyed because God keeps his covenant. Father, I come before you today. God, may we be people, your people, who cling to and trust fervently your word. Father, I pray that things that break our spirit, things that, oh, Father, they're harsh to us. May we cling ever more to your word and to your truth. Father, I pray that we would be a people trusting you, for you never fail. You're always good. God, you have called us into relationship with you. You established your covenant, and you make us participants in it through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And we say, thank you, God. Thank you for being faithful to your word. Thank you for never letting us down. Father, I pray, encourage us today through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.